Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's Sermon and Prayers of Intercession from the English Reformed Church Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you are about to hear and that you will be blessed. Living God, speak words of life to a world threatened by death. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the 11th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, we find a roll call of faithful people of God in the Old Testament. It's an inventory of the great heroes of the faith who are worthy of remembrance and who are an inspiration for all God's people for all time. Included in the chapter, there's a verse which goes as follows. Time is too short for me to tell stories of Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Through faith they overthrew kingdoms, established justice, saw God's promises fulfilled. How interesting that the name of Jephthah is included there. I wonder what that says about the writer. I wonder what it says that Jephthah is included in this list and not his daughter, whose name we're never told. Surely she's the one to be remembered, while Jephthah is best forgotten. The truth is that rather than being a paradigm of faith, this man is a fool, a faithless and destructive fool. So what do we know about Jephthah? Well, if we go back a bit, we're told that he was the son of a prostitute and an unnamed father, and that as a result, he was despised and treated as an outcast. In other words, he suffered for the sins of his mother. Well, that's ironic, for Jephthah's poor daughter was destined to suffer big time for the stupidity of her father. And we're told earlier on that Jephthah had a reputation as something of a hard man, so he'd been lent on to lead Israel's army against the Ammonites, the current military threat to God's people. And Jephthah had agreed, and evidently the Lord endorsed the, endorsed the choice of Jephthah, for we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now that's a great start. If you're going to be the commander of the Lord's army, it's a huge advantage if you have the Spirit of the Lord to fight your battles. But why wasn't the Spirit of the Lord enough for Jephthah? Why did he make this stupid, foolish bargain with God, that if God gave him victory, he would sacrifice the first thing that came out of the door of his house on his return? What were you thinking, Jephthah? Wasn't the Spirit of God enough without making bargains with God? You stupid man. I want, however, to probe Jephthah a little, for if we scratch the surface, we find that we're dealing here with more than just random folly. We're dealing with more than just a thoughtless and impulsive man. I would suggest to you that there are other forces at work in this story, other powers and influences at work in Jephthah and that lead him to act as he does. So, for example, first off, there's the power of religion that is in play in this story. Disastrous, distorted, dysfunctional religion that brings destruction in its wake. I mean, who is this God that Jephthah needs to bargain with? Who is this God who has to be cajoled with the prospect of a sacrifice in order to get him to make a deal? This is not the God of Israel. The God of Israel cannot be propositioned this way. The God of Israel is not susceptible to bargains and bribes and bartering. In fact, 
In a sense, Jephthah has already lost the battle with the Ammonites by making this kind of bargain. Because in doing so, he's succumbing to the Ammonite gods and their ways, including their lust for human sacrifice. So Jephthah's daughter, his poor, nameless, only daughter, is not just the victim of her father's stupidity. She's the victim of distorted, deathly religion. And God knows we're familiar enough with that in human history. But then, of course, the power of war is also at work in this story. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He inflicted a massive defeat on them, and so on. What we have there is one more description of one more war, one more dispatch from the front, one more tedious account of slaughter and suffering. And so Jephthah's daughter, his poor, nameless only daughter, is the victim of war, the power of war, what we now call collateral damage. And the drums of war are beating as loud as ever in our world this morning. But there's another power at work here in the story. There is, too, the power of patriarchy, the power of a world made in the image of men. It's the world that remembers the name of Jephthah the fool, but not his courageous, dignified daughter. This passage reeks of Jephthah's contempt for women. He must know that there's a tradition in Israel that when the men come home from war, the women come out to celebrate with their tambourines and their dancing. Centuries before, when Israel passed through the Red Sea, Moses' sister Miriam took up her tambourine and danced, and the women followed her. What value does Jephthah put upon women that he makes this reckless vow to sacrifice whoever he sees first? And his, his only regret that the victim is his daughter rather than some other dispensable female. And get this. When Jephthah realises what has happen, happened and who the victim must be, what does he say? What remorse does he show? Well, listen again to verse 35. Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have brought great trouble to me. What? With what kind of male blinkers does he view the world? Alas, my daughter, you've brought trouble, you've brought me very low. Excuse me, Jephthah, this is not all about you. And you have brought great trouble to me. Oh, so this mess is the daughter's fault for coming out to greet her old man when he comes home victorious. Silly woman. This, then, is Jephthah's daughter his poor, nameless, only daughter. The victim, yes, of a foolish father, but a victim of far more, of the powers of religion and of war and of patriarchy. Yet the beautiful thing, the real heart of this story, is that Jephthah's nameless daughter will not allow herself to be remembered simply as a victim. Given the tragedy of her situation, this woman will not lie down passively and submit. Given the hopelessness, given the cards stacked against her, 
her voice will be heard. Squeezed and constrained by events, she will create space for herself. Intimidated by the prospect of her life terminated, she will make time for herself. If she must die, then she will die on her terms. And so she goes to her father, and rather than bargain and manipulate as is his default mode, she puts her simple request. Spare me for two months, that I may roam the hills with my companions and mourn that I must die a virgin. And her father says, go. And there follows surely one of the most poignant scenes in all of scripture. Jephthah's daughter in the company of her companions roaming the hills, a brief interlude before her inevitable violent death. The image that comes to my mind inappropriately enough is of a strange parody of a hen party. After all, instead of celebrating impending marriage, this daughter mourns her eternal virginity. Instead of rejoicing in the fulfilment of marriage, the only possible fulfilment for a woman in her day, she grieves that she will never be other than single and childless. And where nowadays hen parties jet to Ibiza for a weekend of indulgence, here the women, this woman and her friend, friends roam the hills and lament. There is, however, more to this group of women than mourning and pain. In fact, there's a wonderful ambiguity about them. Yes, of course, there is such sadness and pathos in their gathering. As they come together, they cannot be, but be mindful of those powers, those destructive forces that prey upon their lives. Their world is scarred by oppressive religion and war and patriarchy, as well as countless other powers that control and sap human life. And they gather with this daughter who is condemned to die. Yet that is not all. For here in this group, something hopeful is happening. Something different is taking place among them. This group represents a refusal to submit to these deathly powers on their terms. They represent defiance. For a start, among these women, there is companionship. This daughter, we've been told, is an only daughter. She's used to solitude and isolation. She comes out alone with her tambourine and dancing to greet her father. Yet now, for these last two months of her life, she has companionship, solidarity. She does not face her death alone. And note well, this little group, this non-hen party, is a male-free zone. There's not a man in sight. Here for two glorious months, the spectre of patriarchy and sexism is banished. And here too, war is distant and forgotten. For these are women, and women do not fight the wars. That's men's business, and with no men, war is absent. And maybe it's not stretching things to say that religion... Jephthah's oppressive, macho religion that strikes, steals and drives bargains 
no longer features among these women. And I doubt that those two months are all wailing and woe. This daughter and her companions are inhabiting a zone so gloriously free of deathly powers that I'm sure they found time to laugh and to sing and to dance and to tell their stories. It's been suggested that this daughter of Jephthah is a type of Christ, one who suffers for the sins of the world, and indeed she is. But we also see in this woman and her companions an image of Christ's body, the church. Here in the church, as with them, the reality of evil is acknowledged and its effect on our lives. Here we name the powers that oppress human life and ravage the world. Here we stand in solidarity with the grieving, the afflicted, with those facing death. We know how to mourn. We know how to lament. But here too, these deathly powers are opposed and resisted here in Christ's church. As a church, we are called to be a liberated zone, a community of companionship over against the powers that stalk and kill. Whether it's dysfunctional religion or war or patriarchy, or the power of mammon, or of any of the countless other powers that prey upon us and that diminish and demean human life, we are called to join this daughter and her friends as they leave these things behind and roam the hills in solidarity. Our passage ends by saying there was a tradition in Israel that every year this daughter was commemorated for four days. Sadly, that does not happen anymore, and it's her foolish father rather than she that is remembered as a hero of the faith. The best commemoration, the best memorial to this daughter, would be a, chur a church worthy of her and of her companions. Amen.
Let us pray. Gracious and sovereign God, you rule over all, and your Son Jesus is enthroned at your right hand. And where your rule is exercised, there is justice and peace, joy and plenty for all. But other powers are at work in this world, infecting all creation with death and destruction. And we pray today against them. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for people of faith, asking that religion might be a force for good and for blessing and not for conflict and prejudice and division. In particular, we pray for the Church of Jesus Christ, that we may be led into all truth, that we might be a zone of freedom from all that enslaves and all that demeans human life. May we be a place where Jephthah's daughter is named and where the powers of death are defied. Lord, in your mercy. And God, we gather this morning in a world convulsed with war and conflict, where further conflict threatens. O God, bring peace to the raw places of the earth. May sanity prevail in the escalating conflict with Iran. Curb the rhetoric of threat and intimidation that we hear on the lips of world leaders. And show us, we pray, how to be a refuge for those displaced by war and its effects, like the community of companions that supported Jephthah's daughter. And living God, after a week where divisive and racist utterances have been orchestrated and publicized, we pray for a world where the image of God is respected in whoever's face it is reflected. And may your church be the community where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, for all are one in Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. And bless, we pray, any in special need this morning. Those, like Jephthah's daughter, who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Those who are anxious and fearful because their lives have been disrupted. Those whose faith has been stretched and tested. Living God, draw near and bless. Lord, in your mercy. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, Sovereign Lord of all. Amen.